The following Dharma talk was given by Katie Yosha Scott Childress. Yosha is a senior student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or to find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon. This spring ongo, we've been studying Dogen's fascicles, Zenji and Shoji, Life and Death, and the Mahaparinibbana Sutra. And I've been meditating on how miraculous this topic is with this particular season, this birth and aging and death are so evident. My uh, my dog, uh, who was very old and sick, died right at the beginning of Ongo. And um, so I'm really grateful to be here um, and grateful for this practice and grateful to have a Sangha to train with. So I've spent a lot of time in my backyard these last... 10 weeks. Um, I usually do my morning zazen out there, no matter the weather. And um, the oak tree had these exquisite golden tassels at one point all over it, just so extravagant with these little teeny red oak leaves peeking, you know, sprouting out like perfect little leaves, but just this big. And um, now the tree is all leafed out, and the leaves are kind of bright green and tender. They're not, they'll, they'll get kind of dark green and waxy a little later, and then turn brown, fall down next season. And I was studying these spring ephemeral flowers as um, part of my art practice. And um, they're all gone now. Like, you can't find a snowdrop anywhere. No sign of them. And they're like these perfect architectural little, you know, crook with a beautiful little three-petaled um flower with another little cup inside of it. And they're, they're so perfect, miraculously perfect. Um, and I, you know, I was working with them as sculpture and it's so hard to emulate something that's that perfect from nature. Um, there's so many, um, so many things like that that are just come out in our gifts and then they're perfect and they're all giving and then they go away and they're gone. Master Dogen said, it's a mistake to suppose that birth turns into death. Birth is a phase that is an entire period in itself with its own past and future. Like, where are those those golden tassels now? 
for those snowdrops. Where are they? They were here. They were so vivid. Where is the thought that I was really preoccupied with on Monday? Like, where is it now? Or any of the difficult places I've been this week or in the last period of Zazen? Like, where, where are those now? My, uh, my brother, Norman, died seven years ago in his sleep. And um, he, was, uh, he was a very bright light. And um, the night that he, he died, he, he had gone out dancing with his partner. And um, he took this selfie of them, like, twirling around the dance floor. And he's, like, laughing and happy. And then he went to sleep. And um, we don't know what happened. He was healthy and strong, but he didn't wake up. He's just gone. He's 54. So we don't know, you know? Like we say we don't know, but we really don't know. That can happen. It does happen to people. You know, there's a perspective that you can have when... um, when you come, when you lose somebody like that, somebody that you love, or, you know, you are um, being faced with your own mortality, and it's actually, it becomes easier to discern what's important. You know, we can be freaking out so much about trying to get things right, impress other people, escape blame, get angry at this person, hurt by that one. But would we really actually want to carry that into our dying moment, any of that? Like, it's just really not that important at all. And so, really keeping this sense of our life and our death, our inevitable death, and everyone else's, really, really close, so important for keeping that perspective. And if you were told you only had a month to live, you know, what would you do? How, how would you live this life differently? How would you sit through a period of zazen differently? It might be your last period. And kind of miraculously, 2,500 years after the Buddha's death, we have a recording of what he did when he knew that he was close to death. That's very cool. Uh, so in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, the Buddha repeatedly distilled the pith of his teachings down into these few, these couple phrases, such and such is virtue, such and such is concentration, and such, is, such and such is wisdom. Great becomes the fruit, great is the gain of concentration, when it is fully developed by virtuous conduct. Great becomes the fruit, great, great is the gain of wisdom, when it is fully developed by concentration. Utterly freed from the taints of lust, becoming, and ignorance, 
is the mind that is fully developed in wisdom. So there are so many volumes of Buddhist teachings, and he chose to repeat that over and over again before he died. So he's really distilled down what, you know, we're like, do you have anything else? And he says it again. Okay, are we paying attention yet? I mean, the teachings are continuously pointing us toward virtuous conduct, concentration, and wisdom. We have three pure precepts of cease from evil, practice good, and actualize good for others. But how do we do that? So ceasing from evil, it's really basic. We have to start with ourselves. The Buddha said, utterly freed from the taints of lust, becoming and ignorance is the mind that is fully developed in wisdom. So why are we not at ease? Where is the problem? The Buddha is saying, we want things to be different than they are, and that we're ignorant of our true nature. So what, what part of our life are we trying to get rid of? What, what, we, what do we really think, if, if that one thing could change, then, then I'd be okay? That one thing. How do we address that illness? Concentration, wholesome conduct. Moments before the Buddha died, he said these very last words. Now then, monks, I exhort you, all fabrications are subject to decay. Bring about completion by being heedful. These were the Tathagata's last words. In another translation, it says, Behold now, because, and it used probably like raspy at that point, like, behold, because, last word, all compounded things are subject to vanish. Strive with earnestness. That was it. It was the last thing he offered. His last breath. So, What would we say when we're getting ready to die? What would matter the most to us? What are we supposed to be heedful of? Why are we not at ease? We should be heedful of that. We should enter there. Look at that. What is it? What's it made of? Can we look at it closely? Any of these states that we're in, anxiety, depression, these are all places for us to enter, places where we can find our wisdom. All compounded things are subject to vanish. That's what he said. Those were his last words. It's so sad. Everything, all these people that we love and things that We want to go on or going to vanish for sure. Even our good health and our bodies, all of that. But our afflictions are made of the same stuff. 
all those problems, all that heavy, heavy, heavy stuff we're carrying around in the backpack, subject to vanish in an instant. We have to look, look at it, instant decay. So our attention's like that. We focus on something, we see it, and then what is it? Keep looking. Shokaku uh, Okamura translated um, shoji, which means life and death, but like one word, life and death, which we don't have an English equivalent for it. And I don't know what it means exactly, life and death, one word. Um, but that passage that I, I read, he translated it differently a little bit. He said, it is a mistake to think that life turns into death. Life is a position at one time with its own before and after. Consequently, in the Buddha Dharma, it is said that life is itself no arising. Death is a position at one time with its own before and after. Consequently, it is said that death is itself no perishing. In life, there is nothing other than life. In death, there is nothing other than death. Therefore, when life comes, just live. And when death comes, just die. Neither avoid them nor desire them. In, uh, in commenting on this, um, uh, Okamura um, related it to a poem written by Uchiyama Roshi um, that he wrote right towards the end of his life as he was facing his own death. And the poem is called Life and Death. Water isn't formed by being ladled into a bucket. Simply the water of the whole universe has been ladled into a bucket. The water does not disperse because it has been scattered over the ground. It is only that the water of the whole universe has been emptied into the whole universe. Life is not born because a person is born. The life of the whole universe has been ladled into the hardened idea called I. Life does not disappear because a person dies. Simply, the life of the whole universe has been poured out into this hardened idea of I, back into the universe. So, I, I love this poem and um, I've been finding it really helpful to uh, kind of visualize these tangible elements like water in terms of life and death. This water doesn't actually ever um, go anywhere. It, it just changes states, right? It goes from being liquid to ice to vapor, but it never actually diminishes. It's always in some state somewhere at all times. And we're made of that, which is pretty crazy. Um, so I have a book called uh, Lee, 
dynamic form in nature. Um, and it's, it's an ancient Chinese study of the patterns that appear in nature. And so this book is this beautiful collection of patterns in nature, like, like a spider web and, um, a dragon's fly, fly wing. Those are, uh, reticular formations or they're like retiform. They're net-like forms. And there's like the, the lee of crackle or crazing that you see on, on pottery, right? Those beautiful crackling lines, which you also see when a mud puddle di- dries up. And that's another uh, type of form, lee, a type of form. Um, and then you have vasculum, which are leaf vascular patterns, where you have a central vein and then that branches out into little veins, like a leaf or like our circulatory system. And there's a similar kind of looking pattern called rivas, which is like rivers and drainage systems. Um, it says the common factor in all these process is, processes is, as ever, the transfer of energy. So these are energy pathways. All of these patterns that everything is made up of um, forms these beautiful patterns. There are branch lee or branching patterns where a brain cell actually looks very much like Irish moss. It says branching systems provide an elegant solution where, is, where there is need to access every part of a given area in the most efficient and economical way. That is why these patterns are so widespread in nature and are quite essential to the workings of complex organisms where the dynamics of efficient distribution involving energy in one form or another is at a premium. So I think about this, I think about this, um, this email group that I'm part of, um, I'm a, a public library director and we have a, a, I'm in a library system with 66 libraries. So we have this email group of library directors and um, where we ask each other questions when things come up, you know, like, what's your policy when, you know, law enforcement comes and asks for information and, and then we share information with each other. And, um, it's, it's this amazing thing because we all need each other. We're all at different levels of experience. And when you think about like each of us being like at the end node of some network that, you know, goes through wires in our computer and semiconductors and electrical grid and internet you know, broadband grid over five counties. It's like, you know, we're, we're that, right? We're, we're making this, this brain together, this, this connected intelligence that's responsive and dynamic. And there's no, you know, one, uh, anybody who's in charge. It's just like, it's just responsive. It's happening. 
So I thought that was kind of beautiful, too. Um, it says, Lee reflect the order and pattern in nature, but it's not pattern thought of as something dead like a mosaic. It's a dynamic pattern as embodied in all things, living and in human relationships and the highest human values. So when I think about that, you know, I, I also think about these dynamic forms everywhere that are like sustaining our lives and our bodies and that, you know, my bones are made up of this stuff. You know, have you ever seen like a dried out bone and it's got all these little kind of pores in it? And that's one of the Lee that is similar to ice that freezes and thaws and freezes again. It starts making these very random patterns, but they have this beautiful geometry and they have pure chance within it. So it's, it's a really beautiful kind of Lee. Um, but just to, you know, know that like if I were to let my corpse decompose, you know, that, that, that beautiful nature, it's like down into our bones, you know, we're, that's us. We're, we're made of all of that in accordance with each dharma each root gives rise to separate leaves root and branch must return to the great reality like you know if you find a leaf that's decomposed but all the veins are still there it's just the most beautiful thing right it's like all the flesh has gone but we don't we don't actually need all of that in a way like it's still it's, 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 um, still giving. And then, you know, thinking about all of these, um, these patterns and, and energy, um, movements in terms of our consciousness, you know, I think about our habit energies, which, um, sometimes are thought of as a river where you can't actually locate you know, where, where is the actual energy? Where is the habit? I mean, we all have these things, these habitual things that come up over and over again. It's like, wow, what, why does that keep coming up? Right? We have these, these, these difficult habit energies. And, you know, when I think about them and like our storehouse consciousness also being this dynamic place, of of patterns and and energy moving and so forth maybe it's like wind or water it just it feels um feels less personal it's nature we're nature we're part of it you know the storehouse consciousness it's it's personal and collective so we didn't create all of it right we didn't create all of the cultural norms that oppress us, but we're part of them, and they're part of us. And they come up, you know, in the way that we think we have to behave and things that we feel responsible for, this collective karma. So we have to take responsibility for all of these things that are coming up for us, for our craving and our 
beliefs and our different ways that we separate ourselves, but then also know that it's something shared. It's not personal. When it's coming up for me, it's my responsibility, but it's not mine, if that makes sense. It's just something I have to take care of. So this ongo, I've also been studying um, Tibetan yogas of sleep and dreams. And um, I haven't gained any success or mastery that I can speak of at all. Um, but um, sometimes just practicing and um, is really helpful and, and failing at something. Um, is okay too. And, and there's also, um, a lot of parts of the, the training that I found really helpful. So that's part of why I'm bringing it up. Um, Tenzin Wangal Rinpoche says, um, bardo means in between state and refers to any transitional state of existence like meditation, dream, death, but most importantly, to the intermediate state between death and rebirth. Um, and the, the Bon teachings, and again, this is obviously not my lineage and not my training, but, um, I, um, this is what they come out of. Uh, so I'm trying to engage what I can with it and also there's a lot of overlap between, um, there's Zochen in, in this, these trainings and you can relate that to, um, Zazen. Um, so, uh, in the, the Bun Mother Tantra teaching, it says, if one is not aware in vision, one will not be aware in behavior. If one is not aware in behavior, one will not be aware in dream. If one is not aware in dream, one will not be aware in the bardo of death. So the idea is that dying is very much like when we go to sleep at night and we're dreaming. We, when we're dreaming, we, um, our dreams are because of our karma the karma that we've created during the day, and then again, like our collective karma, that storehouse. So dreaming is like getting a tour of the storehouse. A lot of crazy shit in there. <laughs> right? Whoa. And um, so the practice is um, about clarifying um your your view and your your mind while you're awake so that while you're asleep you can eventually maybe some people do learn to um become lucid in your dreams so that you recognize that you're dreaming when you're dreaming and then you can transform the dream and so we, we do sort of a a a similar um, process as this in our practice of meditation because we start seeing that these 
things that seem like a really, really big deal and are really heavy, we start being able to see them as thoughts. They're not real. Actually, they're thoughts, and we can let them go. We can work with them. So we're, we're becoming awake to what's going on, to why we're not at ease, to what's bothering us. And so these, there are practices, um, you know, before going to sleep, reviewing your day so that you're not just falling into bed, spinning with all the stories and stress and whatever that's going on, but you actually, you know, take some time to settle and, and review, like, everything that happened, you know, the karma that, that maybe was created during the day. And then practices for well, kind of like meditation, becoming clear, letting go. Um, and, and then practices even during the day where you're checking in. Am I awake? Is this a dream? Am I awake? So that if you do that enough times, you start cultivating the ability to do that during a dream. Am I awake? Is this a dream? Oh, wait, this is a dream. Whoa, it's a dream. I can do what I want. That's amazing. And even, again, you know, when we're in a really difficult situation and we're freaking out and it's not a dream, it is kind of a dream, too. Being able to kind of hold that, that view of, of our, our, uh, our relative life, the dreamlike quality of it can be really helpful. So this is, these are all ways that we're sort of preparing ourselves. You know, the idea, I guess, is that if you, um, if you don't prepare, you know, usually we go to sleep and then we have these kind of like dreams, right? These samsaric dreams that are like, oh, whatever is going on. And, and it's like that when we die, you know, when we're not, we, we haven't really prepared our minds. We just, you know, go into that, and it keeps going, you know. And then just start a new, start another life or go wherever it goes. Um, so, you know, I don't do all the practices. Um, I do some of them. There are visualizations and things. There's guru yoga and, you know, things that aren't part of our training. So, um, there's enough, you know, just about stability and clarity that it's, it's worth, you know, looking into and, um, you know, seeing if you can, you can take it up some, um, throughout the day and then going to sleep at night. And I, I found it really, I think, helpful because, you know, I'm trying to remember my dreams and, you know, I write them down. And um, when I uh, wake up and I really don't remember the dreams, I'm, I'm very conscious of how foggy I feel. And um, it's... Uh, I guess that's what I'm talking about in failing. Like, 
at least I see that I'm really like swimming around in this state of ignorance. So I'm not, you know, awake completely and able to, you know, see everything that's going on, but at least I can see that there's a fog. Um, so that's helpful. And it, it does help me to like recommit, you know, like, come on, try harder. You can do this. And a lot of the times there's like, you know, little things when I wake up where, you know, my mind is trying to be like, oh, nothing to see here. It's not important. Moving on. I'll be like, wait a minute. What was that? You know, and I'll kind of grab it. It was a, you know, a little thing. It's like, that was a dream. That doesn't make any sense at all. And, you know, start pulling it back in and looking at it. Um, so, um, this bardo, bardo is a time period. So it can be any time period. It can be this bardo between going to sleep and waking up. Bardo between dying and rebirth. The bardo of a period of zazen. Each bardo we can take up as a, an opportunity to, uh, to practice, make an effort to be clear. The Buddha's last words, Behold now, because I exhort you, all compounded things are subject to vanish. Strive with earnestness. So what do we need to do to really turn our minds fully toward awakening. I think one of the best places, at least to me, of what he's saying is that we can enter is with virtuous conduct. Because without that, we can't have concentration. And without concentration, we can't have wisdom. We'd like to just enter at wisdom, but... It's not, it doesn't seem to work out that way. Um, so, so what, how, how can we be virtuous? Like what is, what is actually virtuous? You know, we, we live in a Judeo-Christian, you know, sort of tradition that can give us very mixed up ideas about virtuosity. And, um, Shanti Deva says, all other virtues like the plantain tree, produce their fruit, but then their force is spent. Alone, the marvelous tree of bodhicitta, it constantly bears fruit and grows unceasingly. So bodhicitta is our intention to awaken and to liberate others. He says, For when, with irreversible intent, the mind embraces bodhicitta, willing to set free the endless multitudes of beings, in an instant, from that moment on, a great and unremitting stream, a strength of wholesome merit, even during sleep and inattention, rises equally to the vastness of the sky. So that one thing, if we can do that one thing, of really, really raising bodhicitta, 
which we each have to do for ourselves, in ourselves. May I be awakened. May all of you be awakened. Today, really keep committing to this. The other virtues, the other paramitas like patience and tolerance and generosity and concentration, all of these follow from bodhicitta. If I really, really care about your awakening, I'm going to be really patient with you and generous. And I'm going to care about concentration and really practice. So that one thing, that's one thing that we can actually do, that virtuous conduct. So even the Buddha showed us this as he died. It's like the last thing. What's he doing? It's bodhicitta. I want you all to awaken. That's all I want. That's all I'm, that, that's the last thing I'm going to say. Like I, I can barely even talk anymore and I'm going to tell you, please, please, please wake up. Please, please liberate yourselves. So wholehearted. We can practice this. We can. All the difficult places that we find ourselves in, where we're struggling with others, or what we believe about ourselves, they're all golden tassels. They emerge according to conditions, and then they disperse. Seems so substantial at the time. Such a big deal. But they're volatile. And they're actually fragile. So I will end with a poem by E. E. Cummings. Dedicate it to Mary. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and the blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any, lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being doubt unimaginable, you? Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.